Healing Hands airs every Monday on channel Healing Hands YYC, hosted by Chanel Bostic. Healing Hands is a massage therapy education show in which Chanel shows you exactly some massage techniques, how to heal, and the basics of getting started. Check it out every Monday at Healing Hands YYC. Click on the link below to subscribe. Have you ever wondered why veterans struggle so much getting back into civilian right? Whether or not you are a veteran, Fight by Betsy Ross is a short book series that has an emotional intense story arc that helps spread awareness of those struggles veterans face coming out of the force. Check out the series and more of the fight mission at worldwideweb.fightbetsyross.com. Her latest release, Fight 4, is available now. Give me a second here. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta look like I'm a. Uh, I'm professional here of some kind. There we go. I've hit the mute button. Yay! So Zoom and Zoom and Twitch don't get along very well. They're kind of like they're kind of like uh, evil brothers. Like they they just tend to beat each other up. So I gotta. So it doesn't have the intuitiveness that it's that that other programs do. But it is what we got today, folks. So. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna hope I got. I hope I said this right. Guy Omega. I often go by Guy, but you can call me Guy if you like. Well, Guy's fine. No, whatever. So the part I I was worried about screwing up, I didn't screw up. The part. The part. Well, actually, Imaga is the is the way I say the last name. Again, I'm not particular. That's all good. I'd like to have That's it out good. there. I, I, again. As we started off the year, this is going to be a super serious conversation or something to that effect anyway. How you doing today, bud? Very good. And you? Just, again, just doing my thing. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to finish off a novel today. I, I, have, I got some good things that came out of When Words Collide, and I just got to wrap up the bad boy that as soon as I'm done with you. That's that's basically my day for the rest of the day. So, um, But like I said, we met very briefly at When Words Collide. Uh, there, so just for background, folks, we were doing, I was actually part of the presentation of artificial intelligence and writing. And, uh, and I remember that uh, he was in the front row. He had some very interesting points during that. And we, we talked afterwards, like, hey, would you like to come on my show? And he said, sure, I'd like to come on your show. And that is the secret origin story of how Guy came is here. So, so that all said, um, you got a book. You got a book out now. Um, like, so what's what? What have you been up to in the last little bit? Well, lately I'm preparing for the official book launch of my novel Super Earth Mother, which will happen Monday the 18th at the Vancouver Planetarium. Oh, congrats, man! That. I, the planetarium? The planetarium in the cosmic courtyard. Nice. Where they have an actual moon rock you can touch. Nice. So you're going to be touching the moon rock? Oh, it's just a thing. You can touch it. It doesn't feel like much, but it's an actual moon rock. Hey, that's cool. That's cool. No, sounds like the perfect place. So I'm going to ask this, like, because just based, just based on just what it sounds like, are you a scientist first and a writer second, or just you've always been? I'm an aerospace engineer first. Scientists and engineers are very closely connected. A scientist does basic research. Engineers make things happen. I'm an engineer. My company did autonomous robots for the space station for the Canadian Space Agency. Ah, 
So did you actually help design those yourself or you just run one of many? We did some of that. We did mostly the control. We had to show that the robot could actually work on its own with sensors and intelligence and do repairs on the space station. That must have been hard. Like like people like intelligence is actually a, a very hard thing because I I know that when they're doing stuff with cars with robots with cars and stuff like that, getting them to recognize things that are happening on the road regularly is a huge problem, right? So I can imagine even space there would be it would be there would be challenges up there. Yeah, we we didn't do full AI, but we had to model everything on the space station so that the visual system could recognize where they were and what needed to be done according to a whole work list of things to do. So uh, these things are tend to be very prescribed, but the problem is the space station is like a big piece of spaghetti. It gets hot and cold and wiggles around and things are in funny places. So we had to use the vision system to compensate for all that. Ah, so it's, it's, it, sounds, like, it sounds to me like it was a pain in the butt to figure it all out, but you guys did it eventually. We did it. We Our job was to show, no, they wouldn't do this with real robots in space. They The astronauts wanted to fly, but uh, our, there's, a, there's a little motor that tilts the solar panel called a beta gimbal drive motor. And if that fails, then the solar panels don't rotate properly and get in the sun. And so replacing that motor was our task. Ah, so, okay, so the, you engineered that, which is really cool. Is that what led to like your fascination with AI or is it something you've always been kind of fascinated with? I'm always fascinated with it. And also, of course, now that I'm writing science fiction, I can't ignore it. No. No, it, 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 AI is a huge part of science fiction and it has been for a very long time. Um, I think with, I would honestly, this is just something like my, one of my big thoughts is that I, it's weird because we have lived into the age, like, for example, like this is essentially a tricorder. Like all the stuff that we were imagining in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, all that stuff on some level or not is almost real, right? Like some of the, some of the big technological, we still haven't done some of the really big technological leaps, but we've done a lot, like a lot more than people realize. Like like it's happened over time. So I've always kind of wondered, like the old school hard sci-fi, is is it now like regular fiction? Well, in 1968, Arthur C. Clarke worked to do 2001: A Space Odyssey, where they had HAL 9000. Mm -hmm. And it was a talking generative AI robot that was unreliable. Yes, yes it was. And now, and now here we are. And we, I don't know if we've made machines that can, well, chat GPT actually can lie, right? It can, it can kind of lie. It's not reliable. So it sometimes hallucinates or confabulates. Yes, it does. So we technically have a how already kind of sorted, don't we? Yeah, but it but it the, the the premise there was that Hal had consciousness and evil intent. And I don't believe AIs are showing that. No, no, I don't 
I, I don't think I don't think AI today has so far shown any kind of evil intent. I mean, I think it's natural to have some fear of it because again, it's the idea of creating something that's smart or smarter than you. That is a little scary. Well, it's not only scary, it's 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 unsettling because for 60,000 years, humans have been the only species that can talk. And all of a sudden, there's this AI that does pretty well and has a verbal IQ of 155, which is not so bad. No, that's average, right? That's a little bit actually a little above that's average. That's above average. It's way above average. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. IQ, like genius level IQ is 140, if not, if I'm not mistaken. It's kind of a genius level IQ for verbal IQ. It doesn't have common sense or intuition, but it can talk pretty well. So basically what you're saying is guard your wallet at all costs around those things because... Uh, well, it, 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 I, I'm not saying that they're out to steal your money. I'm saying that their answers, you want to ask it questions, their answers may be unreliable. And so it's getting much, much better. I'm a big user of ChatGPT4 and it's improved hugely. And I've been checking its answers with, with Google and I haven't found any gross errors, but sometimes people have reported that. There are many competitive AIs that are less reliable. Yeah, it's going to, I think the one of the more interesting things is I, it's going to get to a point because it's already kind of there in some, in some fields now, the AIs will be doing their own things, like, and we're not going to be able to keep up with them to the same degree. So to compensate, you're going to make more artificial intelligence to deal with artificial intelligence. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting that as I think, as it evolves, these systems are going to become far more complex and very quickly too. The evolution of AI is going to be so rapid, it'll take your breath away. Next year, it'll be completely different. Look, hold on to your seat, hold on to your hat. It's not that the AIs are going to do what they do in the movies, which is all of a sudden wake up and want a world domination and to eliminate the human race, but they are getting smarter and smarter and we have to understand what their limitations are. And it's very difficult to do that because how they make a decision is opaque, even to their creators. Yep. But also, I mean, the big advantage they have from everything I've read is time. Like we, as a, as a species, like me and you on a day in day out basis, do multiple tasks in a day, sometimes out of basic necessities, i.e. we have bills to pay, right? So they can, an artificial intelligence can master something much faster than we can because they have nothing but the time to do it. Well, they, they do what they call training of generative AIs over a period of years. It doesn't instantly master, yeah. you know, nuclear physics, but it is trained and it has to be retrained and then training has to keep improving. So you're looking at a moving target. The thing is continuing to learn. And sometimes what it learns isn't true. And especially if it's learning from other AIs who are making up stuff, then you could really get some strange kinds of results. That in an odd way comforts me a little bit in an odd way, because we live in a world where, I mean, look, any of us can be fooled. I mean, no matter how smart we are, 
we can all we can all make mistakes, right? We all can believe something that isn't true, even to the best of intentions. So if a machine can do that too, that oddly makes it more human in it, an odd way. Quite right, Josh. I you know I say this confabulation, making up stuff. People do that all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. So it, yeah. it does sort of humanize. Well, I'm okay. So like like okay like. Sometimes, sometimes, like I said, we all, okay, I have a, I have 12 rules to success. The ninth rule, I, so I'll just tell you what rule nine is. The ninth rule is to detach from all outcomes. And the idea behind that is really simple. All of us are attached to certain ideas, like just based on our experiences, what works for us, even ignoring everything else. But, but what happens is if I criticize an idea of somebody's, and it's just the idea, if I'm detached from the idea to the point where I can say I could be wrong, I can listen to a criticism fairly. But if I really believe it, and this is this is a more human thing than a machine thing I'm, I'm certain of. But if I believe it, right, if you attack my idea, you attack me as a person, right? So, so I mean, it's, it's in an odd, my point to that is, in an odd way, I mean, in an odd way, like that's how, that's what happens with humans. With machines, you can just there's might be it might be a more innocent concept of, hey, I just thought this was true, and I'm just going to go down this path based on what I think. Um, it'd be interesting to see. It'd be interesting to see down the road if, as the intelligence evolves, the attachment to their whatever ideas the machines have, does that evolve as well? That's a fascinating question for which I don't have a good answer. I don't know how AIs are going to evolve, except that they will be more intelligent, quicker, and more knowledgeable. But I don't know how truthful they will be in the future. I believe there's going to be a huge amount of public pressure to check, truth check, or fact check AI results. And there may be other AIs totally devoted to fact checking. Yeah. So um, no, no, I, I think I think the uh, I think the how do I how do I put this? I think the I think initially yes. I my big concern, ironically enough, is this: I, as it stands right now, um, human beings don't, in my in my opinion, read enough. And what I mean by that is, I can watch something on TV, like a news program, and a news program will tell me that this thing happens. We don't necessarily fact check in the moment just because of how quickly the news cycle can go right and so there's a lot of ideas that that are presented to us on a day in and day out basis that sometimes you sometimes we don't check ourselves. I think I think that what's going to happen, I think initially there's definitely going to be checks and balances on the machine there has to be it's not a bad idea to fact check a machine you should. But if the machine more often than right is right than wrong, eventually I think like like anything else in, in with human beings, we become comfortable and complacent with what we say. Well, if the machine says this, it has to be true. Um, my my big concern, my big concern is, is about the future with human beings is that we stop being curious because of all the knowledge that is apparently available at our fingertips. Well, I, my experience with ChatGPT is the opposite. Yeah. I happen to know that I can ask it anything. Yes. I get curious 10 times a day about 
disparate topics and it will tell me something interesting. And so my curiosity has been stimulated. And, that, and that's great. I, no, and I, I think, I think, I think that, I think that, I think there's truth to that. But I also know this: like, I will have a conversation sometimes with somebody, and they'll go, "Well, show me on Google, right?" If it's something they don't necessarily agree with, right? And and I think, I think it, there's going to be a bit of both. I think, I think for people who are naturally curious, like who are naturally curious about everything, it's only going to encourage them to be more curious and to learn more. Um, but I also think there's going to be, I, I think, I think is I can go to both extremes. I think it could make someone like you more curious, but I also, I think it could make somebody less curious because the answers are already there. So what's the point? I think I could see it going both ways, if that makes sense. Hang well, sooner or later, everybody comes across something they care about that they don't know about. Yeah. You know, if you've got if you've got a medical ailment and it's an abstruse thing, you you need to learn about what's ailing you. And I, I believe I believe that fact checked AI will become dominant. Uh, there's the BBC News has has now adopted what they call verified live, which is that any news story they broadcast that they say is verified has been fact-checked by a team at BBC News. So they want you to trust their news, maybe more so than Fox News, but I'm not sure. But fact-checking <laughs> is, is going to be a big deal. And also other things are happening that may or may not happen. For instance, watermarking AI responses. So you that's know that that's, that's not something that I made up. It's an AI that made it up. No, I I I could see it in the beginning for sure because like, right? Like at least in some in some aspects of it, you can tell when something's AI. It's easier today at this moment to tell when you see something that's more AI generated. I think as the years progress, that's going to become harder and harder and harder to to figure out, right? Because it's, I, it's I, true. Right. I, I, so even now, you can paraphrase the AI with your own words, and it looks like you. Yeah, you you can to a point. Allegory is still something AI doesn't do very well, but um, it it it's it. But I definitely can see a day when that gap closes for sure, and when it does. Um, it's going to get, I think, again, this is something I, I think what's going to happen is I think eventually you're going to have to create an artificial intelligence just to figure out what is artificially intelligent. That'll be its function. Okay. Is this something a human being said, or is this something, uh, uh, an intelligence? I could legitimately see that as a tool. Um, and that's in, kind of what I meant by having a fact checking AI that says, yeah, I'm checking this information. And I'll say that it's to my the best of my knowledge true or not. Yeah. No, I I, I definitely I definitely it's it's going to be interesting to see how it all evolves. I mean, I I think I think. Okay, let's let's ask a big question here. Just a fun big question. Why do AI at all? It's inevitable. So it's kind of like saying you know why. Why ride a bicycle or why be in a motor car? Because that's what's happening. You can't walk everywhere. No, you can't. 
No, you can't. I, 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 but the reason why I'm asking it like this is because, again, there are people out there that are going to be listening to this chat go, well, we didn't have AI for like 59,980 years. Why, 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 do, why now? Um, what's the need for it? And, and I, I say it like that because, again, even today, I mean, we were, you were at that panel. There was a lot of uncomfortable um writers and artists worrying about where it can take them in terms of their jobs and their future i don't have the same fear i think much like anything else in history we make a new tool it's going to change the world i mean it's inevitable but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of what we have either it just means it'll just create a new dimension to what's already existing that's what i think it's going to be anyway i i tend to agree with you josh i I do think that AI will displace a lot of jobs and and perhaps rightly so. I'm not going to pronounce on that. Absolutely. Some jobs are very tedious and boring and it should should be replaced. But many people will be threatened by AIs and there will be social displacement. There will be hardship. And, you know, when they started mass producing shoes, they put a lot of cobblers out of work. Absolutely. You know, I, I, like jobs, I mean, that's the thing, like, it, well, I, I, I had a conversation with a, another author last year talking about the whole idea of technology replacing the workplace. Now, that idea has been around since the Civil War. I mean, the Civil War was very much, as much as it was about slavery, it was also about the Industrial Revolution because that was coming even then. And it was changing the need for slavery as they knew it in the united states so that was a big part of the civil war was about figuring out which way that would go right and that argument has been going on for nearly a hundred and almost 200 years now scary it's scary that we've gone that long um but yeah technology comes in it changes how things are done you're right, there's not many shoe cobblers anymore, but there are still places that shine shoes. There's still places that that will fix your shoes. They'll, like that there are still very human jobs dealing with dealing with it, in spite of the fact that machines, machines mass produce them now. Right. So I don't think art will ever be mass produced in that way. What I do foresee though is okay, I could see especially in world building. I definitely see AI playing a huge role in that. Well, there's lots of possibilities. As a writer of science fiction, I don't use AI to compose fiction. I use AI to do research that will influence what I say in my fiction. Yes. But I don't use it as a writing tool to directly write. And that's that's a you know, that's a sort of choice I've made and other people will make different choices and I don't know how to comment on that in terms of what ought or not ought to be. Oh no I I I no no ought versus we can't do that because there's no the cool thing about science fiction in general is that it deals about what ifs about technology. Like where can we go with it? How can we use it? What can we do with it? It's not always good. It's not always great. It's I, I, like to say that like bad things will come from AI. I think that's safe to say yes. 
good things will come from it too. That's a fairly safe thing to say as well. It, there's no such thing as a, um, it's an all good thing. It's an all bad thing. Uh, what the question I think becomes is, is the sum of what we are creating, the sum of what we're doing, is it, is the net positive overall better than the negatives that come with it? Because there's no, there's never going to be a perfect world. There's always going to be a changing world. And I think I, I believe in the net positive with AI. I'm, I'm in that camp. Other people are more apocalyptic or doomsayers, but I believe overall, it's going to make our society much more functional. It's also going to help us cure some of the problems we have. It can help us deal with global warming, can help us deal with disease. Another COVID pandemic we don't need. No, I, although I will be curious about how that will how that will be handled in the future. I like we made a lot of mistakes last time, um, but I will say, I will say, I, I think. I think to me what it comes down to too is who's controlling the AI more so than than anything else. Um, much like money, much like anything else, all these things we have are tools. It's what we do with them, right? It's what we choose to do with them. Um, you know, I'm, how do I put this? When it comes to government, I'm pretty much an atheist. I have no faith in any particular party or group that's gonna make things better. What I'm secretly hoping, and this is this is my not so secret hope, is with these tools, it's much more it's much more um, possible and doable that people like you and myself can create a better world without so much a government oversight. Instead of having one person solely control this technology, we're all in general just doing it to try to live to try to create a better world. That might sound very idealistic. But I think I think that's that would be better than what I've seen for the last 40 years of my life. I, I tend to agree, Josh. I'm of the view that AI really is IA. Yeah. Intelligence amplification. Okay. So it becomes something for you to better yourself with, a tool for you to use to empower you. I see AI as empowering people. Uh, it could easily work the other way where it takes their power and controls them and in the wrong hands that will happen sometimes. But the, what I'm seeing now is is personal empowerment. Well, I, 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 my, my belief is we're heading towards a, a version of decentralization. That's where I think we're all going. Whereas I think the nature of the way the world's evolving is every place on the planet has different needs. Just just depending on where you are, depending on what's going on in your neighborhood, you have different problems that need to be solved. And I think the, I think people that are the best equipped to solve the problems in their local vicinity are the people that live there. That's just my own my own thing. That doesn't mean that we necessarily have to fight with everybody else around us. But I think I think what's going to happen is more and more it's the communities you live in that are going to change the world for the better. It's going to be in small spaces throughout, not just not one large group or corporation or government controlling everything. I think it's going to be like marbles, marbles that have scattered across across the field. There's going to be one group that does things one way. There's going to be another group that does things another way. And, and it's just and it's not necessarily going to be right or wrong. It's going to be what works for the area. 
And that's kind of where I think we're all going. I think we're going to go, I think inevitably we're going to head back to a more community-based environment um, over a period of time. How we get there, I'm not so sure, but I, it could go, that could go a bunch of different ways. But I, I tend to think that um, we have the tools now to, to handle more specific problems more in a more localized way. We don't need a big government or a big corporation or a big system to make these changes. We have a lot more tools to do it ourselves. That's kind of how I, I how I see it. I could be on something, but I think I'm on to something there. I, I tend to agree with you, Josh. Yeah. So, but that's it. So, let's. So, yeah. Are you a big Arthur C. Clarke fan? I certainly have been. Yes. Yeah. What was your, what's your favorite? Was it 2001? Was it childhoods? Childhoods ends my favorite of his. Well, I, I loved a lot of his works. Uh, um, probably, probably childhoods end, but I really, I really enjoyed the movie 2001, although I think it has its flaws. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke was, was a visionary and I liked most of what he did. But I also liked a lot of what Heinlein did, not everything, and also other science fiction authors, Asimov, etc. Heinlein, I, I can I, I know where the line is with you. I can be I'll make a bet. Let's see, let, let's see if I get this right with Heinlein. Everything pre-stranger to a strange land, you enjoyed. That's a that's a fair comment, Josh. I mean when I was a little yeah, preschool, my mother parked me at a local library and the librarian gave me a Heinlein juvenile rocket ship Galileo. Oh, that's a good one. That's and it changed one. my life. I was just a six year old kid. And all of a sudden I had Heinlein in my hands and things changed. He well, I like like his juvenile fiction, like all of them doesn't matter which one you really choose. My personal favorites are the Moon is a Harsh Mistress. That's a fun one. That's a really, really fun one. Um, but I also like uh, Puppet Masters is fun. Starship Troopers is good. The Roads Must Roll. Like he's the, like he did like this whole amazing series for a very long time. And the dividing and when he went on his own, that 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 was like Stranger in a Strange Land, which I think is still good. But he definitely goes into a tangent after that and and uh i i find that most people that love science fiction uh when it comes to highland they love everything before that because everything before that is just a solid story like he just wrote a very solid story and he it was very i wouldn't say meat and potatoes exactly but it was just really good adventurous stuff that was just very fun and great ideas well, I tend to agree. We 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 get along very well, Josh. <laughs> I, I I will say this, on like in all fairness, I'm not as big a Clark fan. That's not and it's not because I don't think he's good. Do you know like there are just some authors you read? Like you know they're good, but they're just not for you. Like have you ever read somebody? It's like you can admire their their you know they're talented, but it just doesn't hits you the same way that say um, somebody else like really grabs you. Like that's Clark for me. Like there are a few exceptions. 
he's a good author. Like, like his work is really good, but it never, it never grabbed me emotionally like Asanoff did or Bradbury did or, or Heinlein, early Heinlein did. Leigh Heinlein was eye-opening to read as a teenager. We'll just leave that one. I'll leave that at that. We'll leave that at that. Um, but I think, I think they're like, but I will say this without Clark, we definitely wouldn't be like a lot of how we visualize the future today would not exist. He was one of those guys that really had a lot of good ideas of what the future could be. Well, I even had a patent on communication satellites. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's Clark. Yeah, he was, he was the real deal. But oh, I no, enjoy people he, like no, he, him. And, and others too. There are many good writers. Oh, I, there's a lot of good writers from that era. My favorite that no one really talks about from that era is Clifford Simic. He's really, really good. Um, modern era, modern era science fiction is. So I I, I kind of feel like I th I think that the other cool thing about science fiction back in that day is also there was also a lot of philosophy with it, like. Not just the technology, but the ethical, the ethics, the ethics of using it and what it what it uses it. And I think when we got to the 80s slash 90s, right, there was a shift away from it, right, a shift away from that, from, away from it. And it, like modern science fiction does not feel the same for a bunch of different reasons, right. That doesn't mean there aren't throwbacks to it. Like Robert Sawyer does definitely, I feel, do, uh, I've said this to his face, he's probably the closest thing to Asanoff today that exists. And there's other authors too, but I feel like, um, like when, when, when a lot of people think science fiction, they think about that golden era, like Heinlein, Asanoff. Well, that golden era was killed by Tolkien. Yeah. And fantasy. Prior to Tolkien, which was illegally published, they just took his manuscripts and published them and sold them. Uh, prior to Tolkien, science fiction reigned supreme. Now science fiction is a small niche under fantasy. It is. Like, it has become that. There's still some good ones made here and there. Like, there's still some really cool ones. Uh, but it's not, to the, it's not to the same degree it once was, for sure. Well, that's what I'm trying to do with my Super Earth Mother novel, picked up by Edge, Brian Hades at Edge, finally, after a long wait. And I'm very happy that it's being read by the public and many good reviews. And I'm trying to do what sort of I call classic science fiction, but in in the modern era with 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 the new ideas that are available to us now. Well, I think, I think, okay, so the only thing I will say, I think, I think where science fiction can learn, like modern science fiction can learn from fantasy, because like the other part of it too is hard science, I, I, Asanoff talked about this a little bit with, towards the end of his life. I think he was right. Hard science fiction, there, there were, there's a tendency to go into great detail about the scientific concept and less about the story itself. Right, I, I can think of a few authors that definitely, um, I'm not going to name names here, but that definitely really loved, like the concepts were sound, but they were very, they took away from the story they were telling, like they would start telling the story, they would explain the concept for nth why. Asanoff was a master of explaining his concepts 
within a page or two at most. He simplified it in such a way that anybody could get it. I think that was actually Asinov's gift as a sci-fi writer, right? And he never deviated from the story he was telling. I think I think the one thing about um, fantasy that they do that fantasy does very well is they do have bigger worlds and bigger stories in the background, but they never deviate from the story being told in front of them. And I I, I think I think with with science fiction, I think it's going to evolve a bit too because like as much as I love a classic sci-fi, technology is today. Like there's so much there's so much technology today. That it's almost like, is it science fiction anymore? Like kind of like, do you know what I mean by when I say that? It's like it's almost like there's science fact. And I say that, and that knows no disrespect to anyone with any of the old I love old school sci-fi. But it's I kind of feel like storytelling now more than ever is important. Well, I try to make the science serve the story instead of the other way around. Some yeah. science fiction stories start with some kind of weird scientific premise and try to fit a story around it. I'm just using the science to make things happen in the story. And I do a lot of science in the story, but it's it's not even the whole page. It's typically less than a paragraph here and there. Yeah. So I'm trying to do that. I've been told I'm sort of succeeding. You're sort of it serves the story. The story is paramount. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, it, I, I, it's, it's important because again, I think, I think especially science fiction in the eighties that, that tended to happen a lot. Um, now, like I said, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see like what science fiction continues to evolve into going forward. I think there's definitely, po I think there's definitely cool possibilities with it. Like deep space. I love, I think is still a big thing. I still think uh, unreliable artificial intelligent narrators definitely have a place in the future for sure i think it's oddly comforting that you know like i said so i'm talking a little bit full circle that machines that machines can be deceived it's an interesting it's an interesting um human quality to them so all, all that happens in in my novel super earth mother i'm going to plug it because it's shameless self-promotion i know you, you, you should Absolutely. No, no. You look, I, I, I would rather I would rather me having to pull you back than to bring it out of you a lot. Of, like I've done a lot of these interviews. I'm just telling you one of the one of the strangest things for me is, OK, just uh, just just uh, as an aside, how long did it take you to write this? Four years of full time work. OK, yeah. So you've spent four years on this book, right? Four hours a day, four hours a day for four years. About. I would. I would hope, I would hope after spending that much time with it, you'd want to talk about it. <laughs> well, I did. And then five years after that, there was no acceptance or rejection. There was zero response from publishers, nothing until Brian Hades at Edge picked it up. Yeah. So nine years then. It's a long haul. In fact, you know, going over it now, some of the stuff I had written almost a decade ago, I'd kind of forgotten. It does happen. Like you'll go back and some, some do you cringe? Like I, I'm not I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it like this, like because you've written other stuff since I'm certain of it, right? And and you become a better artist, writer, artist, however you want to put it, practicing your craft. So sometimes I'll look back on my earlier stuff and go, 
ooh, like no one else is going to notice this, but you will notice this, right? And and well, and we all have to learn our craft. Writing is not easy. It's one of the hardest things. I used to run an aerospace company, tight budgets, meaning payroll for a dozen people, really difficult technical problems. Writing's harder. Really? Writing is harder than running an aerospace company. And so that, that that's a quote. You should keep you should like trademark that. That that, well, that I, you, you're welcome to repeat it. And give me credit if you can. But anyway, I, no, I will, uh, totally, totally. Uh, writing is really hard work. The hardest thing about writing, I think, is not the dialogue. It's not the character development. It is the essential premise of the work. What's the book about? And you have to have a really excellent premise to make it worth a book. I would, I would go one step further. And you only need a good premise. You need to care, because if I, 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 there is, it's very easy to get caught in your head when you write, right? It's really easy to get caught there. But if it's if it's about something you genuinely care about or want to deal with, or like that comes out in your script, because you'll be, you will, you'll know what I'm talking about here. When you're writing a scene and you feel it, like you just, you can feel it coming out, and you're like. This is amazing and wonderful because there's like a piece of yourself you're you're expressing. The audience is going to connect with that too. I I totally agree with that, Josh. I mean, I I was passionate. I have the virtue of having great stamina. It takes a lot of stamina to write a novel. Now, four years is really kind of a misleading number for writing it. It, it was a lot of rewriting. I would say the majority of that four years was rewriting and polishing and recrafting and and so on. It can you can overwrite very easily, but I kept working at it. I've got the advantage of a very good critique group in Vancouver who would be willing to read the new chapter or the rewritten chapter. And that was a huge help. And they would tell me, well, this just doesn't work, or what do you mean? Or, okay, that's all right. I just needed to carry on. I did plot this thing. Some people write from the seat of their pants. I did plot it ahead, but then at the end, I changed everything. So plotting doesn't really always get you the, to the end. I call, I call myself a planter. This is what I said because I I both plot and I write from the seat of my pants. I one of the things I've learned writing is that sometimes your characters know where to go better than you do, and I'm smart enough to recognize that I can throw my plan out the window a little bit. Right, the current novel I'm working on, the person who I thought was the villain, turned out not to be the villain, like the big villain in the story. Right, it turned out to be somebody else, and it made sense. And it was just like, screw it, I'm just gonna go there. Right? Why? Why not? Right? Like, why? Why fight this? Well, that's the thing. Characters are eventually in your mind if they're good people, and people have a personality, and they have to act in a way that's true to that personality. They have to act in character. So once you've got a character. That character may you may not be able to drive them over a cliff. They just won't jump, and so you have to do something else. 
Well, or, or sometimes they'll tell you, no, you're, I'm going over that cliff right now and you can't stop me. And I'm like, I, 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 and, and, and sometimes you just got to go with it. Right. And it's like, okay, but you know what happens when you hit the bottom and you're like, I, and they're like, I don't care. Or I'm Wiley Coyote. Screw it. I'll, I'll be fine. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. Right. And, and you just, that there is, I think plotting's good. Like, don't get me wrong. I think, I think you need somewhat of a plan to start because I don't know about you. I don't get organ. I don't, or if I'm not a little organized up here, I'm never going to get it done. But I'm smart enough to realize as I'm going that this idea in my head and what's coming onto the page aren't necessarily going to be the same thing. And that's okay. It can be, usually when it gets to here, it's better than what it was here. Well, the premise is different than plot. The premise has to be solid and yeah. it has to have some consistency. Plot can wander. Characters do stuff you don't expect, but they stay in character unless somehow you can introduce a change in that character. Very rarely human beings change how they are. That's very, very rare. Most people are true to who they are, but some people do change. And that's a fascinating moment. And sometimes I, my characters try to change. I think actually, so going on that little, little topic, I think that's the best thing about human beings. It's when you, it's true, whether it's fiction or real life, it's the, what do you do when you face an obstacle that challenges your beliefs? Do you stay true to them or do you change? Right. And if you stay true to them, how do you do that? I, I, I think like the best thing, like as I've gotten older slash wiser, we'll put a question mark on the whole wisdom thing. Cause there are some days I truly wonder. Um, but I, uh, I realized that, that honestly, the most interesting, the most interesting thing when I write a story, it's not just the premise, but it's the people within the premise and how, we all change, but you can't, do we stay true to ourselves? In, and this is the, the kind of mismatch what you're saying. How do we stay true to ourselves? Is, is that change truthful to our character or is that change the result of fear? The result of something that, 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 uh, that makes you shy from your beliefs. And each of those answers is, is I think at the end of the day, um that's what makes everybody so fascinating that's what makes a good character or a person fascinating we all have principles who are we with those principles in the face of adversity that that is the heart of good fiction that's a perennial theme yeah but yeah it's actually it's it's but it's the heart i think it's the heart of i think it's the heart of all people too in some ways we're all tested in life doesn't matter who we are so call the human condition yeah exactly exactly and at the end of the day we're writing about that whether or not we have a un so okay your unreliable ai they'll say unreliable at best the, the, like this is obviously you wrote this well before chat gpt so what was the fascination of what why did you want to make your ai so unreliable well when you start out with an all-powerful ai it's boring yeah. So you have to give your character some foibles. And I I exposed her to a, a, a coronal mass ejection in space that addled her brain. But the, the thing is that 
the AI was necessary to take human DNA and artificial wombs 20,000 years across space to an exoplanet, a habitable exoplanet. It was a new way to colonize a planet. She had to do her job and she had to do it for 20,000 years. She had to exist for 20,000 years in an extremely harsh environment. And so that's that's why she got she got mixed up and addled. A lot of her capacity was diminished. Her judgment was addled, but she still carried on and did her best. And then of course she dies. You're spoiling your book. <laughs> oh no, you have to find out how. I mean, she's not immortal. She's almost immortal, but she's not truly immortal. Actually, that is a really fascinating question too. When the AI gets to a certain degree, right? Will it will it too be aware of its own mortality? That's an interesting. In my like book, she is. She's aware of the impending mortality and fights it, but can't finally. Like humans, we can all try to survive as long as we can, but you and I have a finite lifespan. I oh, I'm very okay with that. I actually so like I had my own like experience with my mortality a long time ago. I realized like one day I I'm not walking away from this planet. I've already like I've come to terms with this a long time ago. I'm not walking out. I'm I'm I, I'm gonna be. Face up, face down, so, somewhere. I, I'm not making it out of here. So while I'm here, I'm going to try to have as much as much of a good time as I possibly can. That's kind of my whole my whole thing, right? Because life is too short, and it's and we got and there's more important things to do, like write novels or eat ice cream or touch moon rocks. Like this stuff's important. Like like most of the rest of life, nah. <laughs> right? There's not a lot more. You do what you love with people you love. That's it. Everything else in life beyond that is superfluous, right? Find what you're passionate about. Go do it. Have a good time, right? Make mistakes, learn, grow, find people you love, be there for them as much as you can and enjoy your life. And I, I, I don't, I think that's a life worth living myself, right? So good for you, Josh. I mean, look, some people can't get there. Some people are mired in whatever misery they have, but you're not, I'm not, we're carrying on. I'm I'm too old for that. Like seriously, seriously, when I, I, I'm going on the road with my podcast, I am, I'm going to do as much crazy shit as I can. This might be my midlife crisis, but it's going to be a fantastic midlife crisis. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, I've, I've learned. Good for you. Yeah, that's it. Right. And it sounds to me like you've, like you, you sound like we haven't talked about your like quote unquote day job or your your professional life prior to becoming a, a writer, but it sounds like you've done a lot of cool things, honestly. Well, I you know I'm aerospace engineer. I got a chance to launch my own company doing specialized robotics for the Canadian Space Agency. Uh, there was a program that could fund some of this work. I wrote a proposal, I got it accepted. I didn't even have a company and they said, well, we can't give you, they wanted to spend a million dollars and they said, you've got the right idea, but they, they said they can't give it to you because I didn't have a company, I didn't have employees. So I had to scramble and hire people and finally they gave me the contract. 
and I started working for this, you know, as an independent contractor, I got that chance. I leaped at it. It was so precarious. When you're an entrepreneur, there is no safety net. There is no pension. There is nothing. If you fail, and most small companies fail, you got nothing. Fortunately, I didn't strike it rich, but I survived. I think most, I think most like small businesses, like I'm, I'm kind of in that boat, right? So I'm a freelancer. Like I write books. I do this. This is this as much as this is for, like, I enjoy doing this. I'm also, there's, I've also figured out how to turn this in a little bit into a buck. Now I'm not where I want to be yet. I still have the side gigs and other jobs to sustain, sustain things, but this is where the majority of my income comes from at this point, which is great. Um, but what I've, what I've learned in this life is, you, you know, you, you don't get, you don't get to do anything cool unless you take chances, right? As precarious as it was, Dude, you 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 built you built robots that are in outer space right now. That's pretty freaking cool. It's, it's very cool, and I'm proud of it. And I was able to make payroll. I was able to pay my employees, and they were talented engineers. They were they they needed a living wage. They had mortgages and children. I had to keep that going. That he keep that that all together. It was a big challenge. I succeeded, but just barely, and I had some help. I had an angel investor that made sure that I didn't fall on my face. And so I I, I survived. Sounds, honestly, man, if you, I, I, I don't know where you are in terms of your, your religious beliefs, but I will say this, it sounds like, it sounds to me anyway, you had a lot of people that believed in you. And that's cool. I did, I had people that believed in me and I, I had some luck. I also had some bad luck, but nonetheless, I survived. It was a very difficult, but challenging and rewarding kind of career. I was able to sell out, I had some patents. I was able to sell the patents at the end and pay my debts and have some money left over. And here I am. I'm not rich, but I am not selling pencils on the street corner. No, but I, I, and it sounds to me like you do it again. Like, you, you know, I would do it again in a guarded way. But yes, if I had the right opportunities, I would do it again, but not now. I'm, no, I'm, no, no, no. I'm at, at this point, stuff. at this point in your life, at this point in your life, it's much more fun telling stories, right? And it was, it's like, I don't have to, I don't have to pay employees. I don't have to, uh actually build hardware that works i can talk about various rocket ships without having to build them it's a little bit easier yeah well it's it's easier yeah except you know the writing of the books and that which might be harder but it's still enjoyable it sounds it sounds to me honestly you've had a very good you've had a very wonderful life and honestly one to be very proud of I, I've had a wonderful life. I can't apologize. I've had everybody has their difficulties. I've I've ended up in a good place. I'm a happily married man. I have grandchildren. I have uh, a book coming out, or it's actually sort of out. Book launch happening next week, Monday, and I'm I'm delighted with my my point in life. So I'm very happy. I I. 
to from me to you, sir. I hope I'm as lucky as you when we get to the end of the journey. When I get to the where you're at, I hope so. Anyway, everybody's got to be. You need you need three things. You need hard work. You need smarts, and you need luck. Yep. All three of those are essential ingredients. You can sort of make your luck, but you still need it. I, I, I would say, I, here's what I would say, something I, like, this is just me as I've gotten older and slash, again, wiser with a question mark, and then we'll wrap this up. Sometimes it's about seeing your luck. I, I, I one thing I've, I've learned in this life is that more often than not, there are opportunities around you. It's be, it's you, it's learning to recognize them for when you get them sometimes. Because when we, especially when we're younger, I don't know about you, there, there were points that I look back sometimes, I'm like, you know, if I had been just a little smarter here, I might have gotten a better opportunity in that moment in that moment. But that comes with wisdom. That's where the smarts come into play, I think, is you learn as you go doing this, like what opportunities could be there. And then, then you learn as as time goes on to pay more attention. At least that's what I've learned for me. And when you learn, you have one little step up on the ladder, snakes and ladders, but you want to keep climbing. You want to keep learning. And ChatGPT will help you learn. Yes. 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 I use it as my research assistant. I am voracious in my curiosity. I learn and learn and learn. Next. So uh, two things before we wrap up. First off, when I go on the road, would you like to come back and do a show? We can actually do it maybe in, in the planetarium and maybe we can touch moon rocks and, and, and BS some more. I would love that. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Why not? When I'm on the road, I'll give you a shout and we'll set up when I know I'm for sure going and we'll figure it out. Sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan. Let's do it. All right. Number one. Number two. We've been plugging it all day, but maybe we should do the official. Like we're coming to, we're at the end of the interview. I've enjoyed myself. I hope you have too. And you should plug your book and where people can find you. Okay. My book is Super Earth Mother, available on Amazon and other online stores and in bookstores, hopefully soon in libraries. Uh, and it's published by Edge Science Fiction in Calgary. And Brian Hades is my publisher and he's a good guy. And so buy the book and especially please leave a review on Amazon. If I get enough reviews, they'll do a promotion and I need that very much. All right. And how can people find you? If they want to get a hold of you. Is there a way to do that? Do so? Yeah, you can go to my website, uh, guyimaga.com, G-U-Y dot g-y-i-m-m-e-g-a dot com there we go i have put it in there and we'll, we'll we'll definitely do that again at the at the end here when we're off the air but folks that as we say is my interview with the great mr g mega i'm sorry i, I just uh, <laughs> don't worry don't worry it's fine yeah author engineer awesome dude i've i've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and that will do it for today folks tomorrow i am drawing on the air with the amazing martheus wade probably some kind of martial arts action thing it'll be wonderful and i know it but for everybody watching everybody listening thank you for watching thank you for listening stay inspired keep shining in the dark
and I'll see you next time. Just Joshing is turning 1,000, and what is next in store for the show? The truth is, it's already happening. I've been recording shows since the start of the year in preparation of me going on the road. You can watch and listen to them now. They are available on my Patreon channel for the price of $5 US. Not only will you get to see these shows months in advance, but you can also help me when I take this show on the road. Click on the Patreon link for more details. Josh. Josh.